Well, it's great to see you. Welcome if you're visiting with us this morning and uh, welcome to all those who are listening on live stream this morning as well. My grandchildren, Emily and Elijah, often ask me, Granddad, what was it like in the olden days? (laughs) In the olden days when you were a boy. Granddad, tell us about those times, please. And according to them, I was born shortly after the Lord said, let there be light, and the earth was formed. (laughs) And I need to admit it, actually, that um, it was in the days long before the advent of Apple TV and long before the the, uh, age of Netflix and even before television on demand. In those days... At the commencement of civilization, when I was a boy, (laughs) to watch a a blockbuster film, you needed to go to the cinema, uh, which we occasionally did as a family on special treats, birthdays, and some other dates. Uh, This is going back into the 1960s. Not that many of you can remember that far back. And in those days, Sean Connery was James Bond, and he was a, a favorite of mine. But there was one film that stood out among all of the others, In fact, I was so hooked on this film that I went to see it three times. It wasn't Terminator 3. It wasn't Rocky 5. It wasn't Star Wars 9. It was... (laughs) What are you laughing at? It was The Sound of Music. It's a wonderful story, great songs... And maybe the real reason that I kept going to see it, and I'm not ashamed to say this, I fell in love with Julia Andrews, Julie Andrews, as Maria, a real crush. I confess this to Julie. She's also confessed to me that uh, Debonair uh, Christopher Plummer was her man, so we're even on that regard. And... Um, these, uh, these confessions have not put a strain on our marriage because it was before we met each other that, uh, and, and we were both only six. So, so, so that's okay. But do you remember in that film, there was a, a nun's song about Maria? I'll sing it to you. <laughs> perhaps not, perhaps not. How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you catch a cloud and pin it down? How do you find a word that means Maria? A flibbity gibbet, a will-o'-the-wisp, a clown? She is gentle, she is wild, she's a riddle, she's a child, she's a headache, she's an angel, she's a girl. When I'm with her, I'm confused, out of focus, I'm bemused, and I never know exactly where I am. I'm predictable as weather, she's as flighty as a feather, she's a darling, she's a demon, she's a lamb. How many of you knew that? Yeah, all the oldies, that's right. So basically, the, um, her, her fellow nuns had no way of explaining her. Her character was beyond description. Uh, she was a paradox. She was a bundle of contradictions. And in today's study, which is the, the third of our present series entitled Final Encounters where we are focusing on people that Jesus encountered, people who encountered Jesus in the last week, Holy Week, Passion Week, leading up to Easter, we're going to focus on one person who was very Maria-like. And that one person is an absolute bundle of contradictions, a paradox, 
and you probably already guess who I'm speaking about. Simon Peter. Peter is such a, a wonderful character and uh, many of us can relate to him because he's got faith and flaws in equal measure. It was H.G. Wells who once said, a man may be a ma bad musician and yet passionately in love with music. It's a good quote, that. Peter, in some areas of his life, was an absolute and utter failure. And yet we cannot deny the fact that he was also utterly devoted to Jesus. Peter was certainly a man of para paradoxes. He was a man of great insight. When Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? His reply was, you are the Christ, the Son of God. But he was also ignorant, declaring never Lord when Jesus disclosed that he would die at the hands of religious leaders. Peter displayed pride. He said to Jesus, if everybody denies you, if all the others deny you, I won't. I'll follow you to prison. I'll even be prepared to die for you. And also we see humility with him. Remember the occasion when Jesus told Peter to take the nets and put them out the other side of the boat. Peter had worked all, hard all night without a catch. Uh, he, I suppose he could have said with gritted teeth, Jesus, uh, you, you, know, you, keep on, you, you keep on preaching. I'm the fisherman. It's, this is my business. Leave this one to me. But he didn't do that. He did as Jesus instructed and caught so many fish that night that the nets began to break. Peter's response was he fell on his knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter was also a man of great courage. We read just a couple of weeks ago of the detachment of Roman soldiers coming to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, come to arrest him. And Peter with sword in hand, cut off the high priest's servant's ear. Malchus, his name was. What on earth was he thinking? You know, I noticed he picked on the small guy. He picked on the guy who was uh, probably unarmed. But uh, what about the rest of the troop, the detachment of Roman soldiers? But you may say it's misguided, but he was certainly uh, a guy of great courage. But as we are going to see today in our study... He was also fearful, denying Jesus before uh, others on three occasions. So Peter was this paradox. He was a, a puzzle, an enigma. I'm not sure if you can call a person an oxymoron. I think that might be violating the English language. But he was all of those things. And I think that probably Peter is also the best and the worst in each one of us as well. So we're going to read this uh, passage from Luke chapter 22 today. I'm going to put the scriptures that we are looking at up on screen if you've not brought a Bible with you. Starting to read at verse 31, uh, Jesus speaking. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord... I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, there are four Gospels, but it's only the Gospel of Luke 
who adds this little detail of Satan asking permission from Jesus to sift the disciples as wheat. What does that mean? Maybe that's not something that's uh, very familiar to you. Well, sifting was this process of removing chaff uh, from the grains of wheat. And basically what uh, Jesus is saying here, Satan has asked permission to crush you, to crush you, Peter. Now, I don't particularly want to spend too much time on this. We're going to go on to something else in a, a little while. But let me, just for a few moments, highlight a few of the things that are being said in these verses. First of all, um, Satan was at work. And Satan, the principal work which he has in our world is to undermine the work of God. And what better way to do that than to uh, cause the natural and the anointed leader of the disciples to fall? I know that uh, some Christians, they fall into one of two errors in all of this. There are some Christians who seem to have so much attention and focus and binding of Satan, there's too much attention on that. And then other Christians have no realization or recognition that there is a spiritual battle, that we're not battling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of this world. And Paul seems to be aware of this spiritual battle some years later when he wrote, and it's included in our Bibles in uh, the book of Corinthians. Paul wrote these words. He says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Now, those words, I think, although they were written by Paul, they could have been written for Peter. He thought he was standing firm. He was confident in his ability to stand for Christ. Actually, he was overconfident, even arrogant. The others might deny you, speaking of the other disciples, but I won't. I'm your man. I'm there with you. I'm going to be with you to the end. If you go to prison, I'm going to be there. If, you're going to, if they're going to take your life, I'm going to be there. The message translation, which is a modern uh, version of the Bible, puts it this way, puts that verse. It says this, Don't be so naive and self-confident. You are not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as everyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Isn't that wonderful? Cultivate God confidence. And I really like that. And that's what Peter needed to do. And it's what we need to do as well. Not self-confidence, not brashness, not arrogance, not self-belief. But our confidence in God. Cultivate God confidence. The second thing that we see in these few verses is that uh, Jesus told him that Satan had asked to sift him like wheat or crush him. What does that tell you? Satan had asked Jesus if he could do this to Simon Peter and the others. What's that tell you? It tells me that Satan doesn't have all authority and cannot do what he wishes. And I just want you to know this morning that when you are going through the furnace of life circumstances, and some of us are going through those circumstances right now, it is God and God alone who has his hand on the thermostat. Yeah? just want you to remember that. Because sometimes, you know, when you're going through those times, you're wondering, how on earth am I going to get through? Is God there at all? He is the one with his hand on the thermostat. God's in control. Thirdly, we see that um, Jesus prayed for Simon. What did he pray for Simon? He didn't pray that he would escape having a rough time. 
He didn't pray that he should, not, should be uh, spared Satan's attack on him, but he prayed that Simon's faith would not fail in the onslaught, and it didn't. His faith faltered. He messed up, but it wasn't destroyed. What do I make of that then? I believe that the Lord allows us to sometimes go through those tough times in our lives because ultimately they are for good. There are some lessons that we learn in those times that we cannot learn any other way. Peter learned that his own strength, his own determination wasn't enough. He learned the hard way that he was following Jesus only at a distance. And then it's fourthly, Jesus also prophesied that he would turn back, Peter would turn back uh, to him. Uh, and when he did, he would strengthen his, the other disciples. Just catch that for a moment. That even before Peter denied Jesus, Jesus had predicted that he would come and return to Jesus and become the leader. And um, what does that tell us? It tells us God sees the whole picture. I tell you what, just in those few verses, what encouragement that we can have that God is in control, God sees the whole picture of everything that we are going through and experiencing in our lives. Okay, let's, let's move on um, to verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him, astray, uh, led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She said closely to him, she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not. Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So the guards had arrested Jesus, led him away to the house of the high priest. And then Peter, we're told, followed at a distance. Now, Peter was one of the two disciples who followed Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, very much into enemy territory. The other was John. All the other disciples ran away. And it was an incredibly courageous thing that uh, Peter was doing here alongside John. The next thing that happened was that a few people started a, a fire in the middle of the courtyard to get some warmth on a cold night. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl came up and saw Peter and said, this man was with him, speaking of Jesus. Peter denied it. A little later, another person came along and said that Jesus was one of the disciples and he denied it again. And the third time, he denied it, and then the rooster crowed as Jesus said that it would. I love, um, 
a statement comes out, uh, from, from a guy called William Barclay. You might have uh, come across this guy before. The great theologian is passed on now. But um, he said this. I'll put it up on screen for you. The person of courage always runs more risks than the person who seeks placid safety. Yeah? That really got me thinking. If Peter had not been so bold, entering into such a dangerous place, he wouldn't have failed Jesus in the way that he did. But I would argue that it is better to fail, as Peter did, than never ever attempt anything for God in your lives. Are you with me on this? Peter's life was full of such failures. But he was a guy who was always willing to give something a try. We might criticise Peter for getting out of the boat and starting to sink. But at least he had the courage to get out of the boat when Jesus called him to come. None of the others attempted it. And apart from John here, none of the other disciples put themselves in harm's way by following Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. The person of courage always runs more risks than the person who seeks placid safety. And I'm sure that you all know this, that the word faith can be spelt another way. R-I-S-K. Faith can be spelt R-I-S-K, risk. And yet many Christians settle for the safety of the harbour instead of the ocean waves of faith. And a harbour existence is a risk-free existence. I don't know if any of you have been on holiday perhaps in the Mediterranean islands or one of the, one of the cities around there. And uh, you've gone into uh, a marina and you see all these magnificent, um, powerful cruisers. And uh, they're anchored in the marina. And often the owner is on board uh, sunbathing, having a glass of wine, reading a newspaper, having friends around to have lunch. And then the next day when you pass by, uh, doing much the same and the boat is still anchored there. And the third occasion that you might pass by, there the boat is still anchored in this uh, marina, looking so wonderful. Doesn't that sound sometimes, maybe, a little bit like us? That we are made for greater things, we're made for better things, and yet we prefer the safety of the harbour as Christians. Now, Peter was a risk taker. Anyone who prepared to uh, get out of the boat, well, it was, it was Peter, wasn't it? And to trust Jesus, it was Peter. Sometimes he put himself in harm's way. Again, that was Peter. I think that uh, William Carey's famous saying is so true about Peter, that Peter expected great things from God and attempted great things for God. I tell you what, I would love that to be said about me. You know, as perhaps a legacy. I don't know if you ever, th you, you get to such an age, don't you? Think, what's your legacy? <laughs> I just wonder, I, 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 I would hope that that would perhaps be said about me. That Steve expected great things from God and attempted great things for God. What about yourselves? It's so easy to criticize other people for failing when we ourselves never get out of the boat or never walk into the courtyard of the high priest.
This idea in this story of this uh, cockerel crowing is an interesting one. And uh, it's caused some uh, scholarly debate. Well, let me explain why. In Mark's Gospel, in chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus speaks about keeping watchful uh, for his second coming because no one knows of that time or hour. Let me put the verse up on screen for you. Mark 13, 35. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or at dawn. Now, the Romans had four watches of the night. The night, in other words, was divided into four uh, parts. There was 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., 9 p.m. to midnight, midnight to 3 a.m., and 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And the reason that that verse speaks of the end of the third watch and refers it refers to it as the time of the cock crowing, is because at three o'clock in the morning, the Roman guards were changed, and they were changed with a trumpet call. And this trumpet call in Latin is Galicinium, which actually means cock crows. Considering that at the time of Jesus that it was against Jewish ritual to keep cockerels in the holy city or hens in the holy city of Jerusalem. This uh, cockerel crowing that Jesus refers to might not actually be a cockerel or rooster of the feathered kind, but a Roman bugle which would have been sounded at 3 a.m. Now, in one sense, it doesn't really matter, does it? Whether it's a, a, a cockerel of the feathered variety or this Roman bugle, it doesn't really matter. But the words of Jesus about Peter had come true. Peter had failed. And Luke is actually very graphic in what he speaks here of Peter. And he says in chapter 22, verse 61, Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Just for a moment, just for a moment, put yourselves in the shoes of Peter. I'm sure that he would not have forgotten that moment for the rest of his life. And I can only imagine what was going through his head at that time, seeing that look from Jesus. Jesus, there's no words. He doesn't shake his head in disappointment. He doesn't look on at Peter in disgust. He doesn't give him that begrudging, I told you it was going to be like this kind of look. But there was sympathy in those eyes. There was compassion. There was mercy. No wonder Peter went outside and wept bitterly. I think that Jesus knew what uh, Peter had gone through. Jesus himself had experienced this in the... Um, in the desert when the full onslaught of Satan came against Jesus and Jesus knew how ruthless Satan could be, how merciless. But I believe that look from Jesus was the look, not of an enemy, but a look of a friend, a friend who understands. This was probably the darkest moment in Peter's life. He felt so humble, so worthless, so useless, so guilty. He probably beat himself up over this. 
How he wished he could rewind the clock. But in his despair, he remembered those words that the Lord had given to him earlier on. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, not all was lost. The Lord not only saw his downfall, but also saw his restoration. And the Lord was praying for him. And there's a lovely, uh, a lovely uh, chapter in John's Gospel, and John tells us about this. The other three Gospels don't. That's a time following the resurrection of Jesus. Peter met up with Jesus on the beach, and Jesus asks Peter three times, Do you love me? Which corresponds to the three occasions when Peter denied Jesus. And it was a time of reinstatement. It was a time of restoration. And the one thing that strikes me about this story of Peter's failure in the Gospels is the staggering, staggering honesty of it. Just think about that for a moment. If there was ever an incident that you would expect to be airbrushed from history, I think it would be this one. Peter the leader of the 12 disciples, the one who had been commissioned by Jesus to build his church, being portrayed here as an abject failure. But instead of hushing it up, instead of brushing this, this story under the carpet, all the embarrassing details of Peter's failure are written down for all history to read them. What and all. And what makes it even more astounding is that one first century historian, uh, a Christian by the name of Papias, tells us that Mark's gospel actually was Peter's sermons written down. So I can imagine there, Peter giving his sermons and someone just writing down, and that's what Mark's gospel was. And it's also very well accepted that Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel used Mark's account alongside other accounts when they were writing their own Gospels. So, what am I saying here? Peter could so easily have suppressed this story. He could have painted himself in a better light by not telling this story. But I believe that was the reason that he did so. Every time Peter told this story, he could say to others, Do you want to know about forgiveness? Well, let me tell you about forgiveness. Let me tell you my story. I messed up. I messed up big time. I denied knowing my friend, my master, Jesus. Turned my back on him in his hour of need. I blew it. But do you know what? He forgave me. He forgave me. And that's what Jesus can do for you as well. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Christians so often speak so honestly about their past failures. Have you noticed that? That Christians can speak about their past failures and their shame. And sometimes their stories, their testimonies are quite shocking. And they talk about their past without blushing, without any sense of embarrassment. And the reason they could do that is because they know that that was them. That was them, that it was a different person 
They've turned over a new leaf. God has forgiven them. Slates have been wiped clean. And that is why Peter includes this story of his denial. He just wanted to show the amazing forgiveness and the amazing grace that we've been singing about earlier in our service of God. We read also that Peter followed him at a distance. I don't know if you picked that up when we did the reading, when we had the reading this morning, that Peter followed Jesus at a distance. And maybe that phrase this morning is a phrase that describes us, the way that we follow Jesus. Yes, we would acknowledge that we are followers of Jesus, but we would also admit, if we're really truthful, that we follow at a distance. There is a remoteness, a detachment in our relationship with him. Jesus, in speaking about a church in the first century, a church in modern-day Turkey, a place called Laodicea, said of this church that they were neither hot nor cold, but they were lukewarm. The members of that church followed Jesus at a distance. But this following Jesus at a distance for Peter turned into denial. It often does. The slippery slope. I've seen it many times before, where people who, in a sense, give up worshipping together with other Christians, putting Christ at the centre of their lives, they eventually get a point, uh, to, a, to a point of doing what Peter did. I think that Peter should have nailed his colours to the mast and said, I'm a follower, but he lost his bottle. How many times have I or have we lost our bottle? Perhaps when we should have said something, we lost our nerve. I don't think any of us are immune to that, that lack of courage, perhaps. Peter denied Jesus by claiming that he didn't know him. But there are other ways, I think, that we can deny Jesus also. It's not just about pretending that we're not a follower of Jesus in a hostile world. There are other ways. We sometimes deny the Lord when we are too busy to pray. For we are saying that our relationship with Christ is not that important and that we can live our lives without him. We deny the Lord when we allow our Bibles to gather dust, when they remain unopened day after day, week after week, because we are saying that other things are far more important in our lives than immersing ourselves in his story. We deny our, our Lord when we turn our heads away from the hungry and the homeless, from the marginalised and from the poor, for Jesus said, as you do to the least of these, you do to me. We deny the Lord when we choose not to forgive that person, that person who has hurt and offended us in the way that Jesus commanded us to do, in the way that we ourselves have been forgiven by the Lord. Dan spoke to us a couple of weeks ago about Jesus' encounter with Judas. And in one sense, Peter and Judas are similar. But in another sense, they are both very, very different. They're similar in the sense that both Peter and Judas failed Jesus. Judas, as we know, betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denied ever knowing Jesus. But the difference between Judas and Peter is the way that they reacted to their failure. Peter repented of his sin and came back, turned back to Jesus. But Judas didn't. Guys, if you'd like to come back, we'll close it in a moment or two. 
Last week, when we were talking in our uh, life group, we reflected on that question. And the question was, would Jesus have forgiven Judas if Judas had come to him and said sorry? Would Jesus have ever done that? And we had a great discussion on that. And it's a hypothetical question, of course it is. The guy who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver betrayed Jesus with a kiss. But all of us, in fact, there was none of us in the group that um, could believe that Jesus would not have forgiven him even after Judas's treachery. If Judas had repented of his sin, we believed. Jesus, the Jesus who prayed for his enemies on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, would have also had open arms to Judas, we believed. Judas never returned to Jesus. Peter did. For Peter, yesterday's mess became today's message. And his test became a testimony. And there may be many times in your lives that you have felt that intense stare, that look of Jesus on you. And I would say to you today, that if that's you, God wants you to know that whatever your past, whatever have been your failures, he is not a God who pushes you aside and desires nothing to do with you. I don't know about you, I fail every week. And I'm sure that most of us, in one way or another, we let our Lord down. We deny him by the way that we are, the way that we've reacted what we do with our lives. And I want to just bring you the good news this morning, that he is a God who loves us with an unconditional, unmerited, unearned love. That is the standard for forgiveness. Can we just pray together?